Well, just a few years ago, as I was candidating, it was suggested to me that I reach out to the former campus pastor and have a conversation. And as we began that conversation, uh, it took me about two seconds to recognize a kindred spirit. Uh, pastor Mike Golay has served here for 17 years and now is serving in uh, Behold Israel as the operations director of operations is the official title. And uh, he's had the opportunity to go all over the, the world and proclaim the gospel. And so it is with an excited heart. It is with much joy and great anticipation that we welcome Pastor Mike Golay to the stage today to hear. All right. It is good to see some familiar faces. There's a lot of faces that I'm not familiar with, which make me excited. That means that the church is being the church and expanding through the gospel. So that leads me to the topic this morning. This is part of the series. I'm fitting right in, plugging right in. Jesus Revealed. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. However, let me give you a little bit of preface by saying I have actually entitled this to be evangelism in the last days. You say, what? These are the last days? Yes. Well, let me substantiate that. In the first century, they had spring feasts of Israel and they had fall feasts. Okay? Let's go to the spring feasts. The spring feasts are prophetic, and they would practice them in the Jewish calendar every single year. So, for example, the beginning of the year in the Jewish calendar is Passover. And then you have one week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and you have the first fruits, which is the first Sunday after, right? Then you count 50 days, that's where we get the word Pentecost from, or Shavuot in Hebrew, Feast of Weeks, it's actually seven weeks. Those holidays were fulfilled in the first century. All of them. Passover, Jesus is the Lamb of God who sheds His blood for the atonement of all of the church's sins. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the sanctification process. He sends the Spirit of God and gives us freedom from sin. The first fruits is the resurrection event. That gives all of us complete and utter security for eternity, and we too will one day resurrect. And of course, some time passed by, literally, and then you have the Feast of Weeks, which is the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Now watch this. These are the days that we live in today. We're going to go back 2,000 years ago and see that the last days actually started then, and let me warn you, for those of you who know me, I'm very direct, I'm going to get under your skin, I'm going to irritate you, I'm going to challenge you, but after today, if you listen carefully and leave those doors, you will have reached out to one person and a God conversation will be set up for this coming week or the following week. If you listen, you will be able to learn some tools of knowing how to reach people effectively in the so-called last part of the last days. That's the promise I'll make to you. 
But first, Acts chapter 2, put some grease and oil on the bindings of your Bible because we are going to be using them. Or make sure your battery's charged with your device because you're going to be using that, whatever you use your Bible for. Acts chapter 2. All the Jewish people from all over the world in the first century that had moved out to many different countries, Pontius, Asia, Macedonia, all the way over to the east where Iraq is, all of the Babylonian Jews, you name it, Jews from Europe, Jews from North Africa, they all converged for a holiday in Jerusalem. And it was called Shavuot in Hebrew, Feast of Weeks. And there they were, they were excited And Peter and the apostles were there. This is after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. Again, 50 days after the first fruit Sunday, according to the Jewish calendar. And they were all there. And all of a sudden, it says the Spirit of God fell down on the believers and they began to speak in, quote, tongues. So, for example, let's just say this row here spoke Croatian. The next row spoke German. The next row spoke Farsi. That's what they speak in Iran. The next row over there speaks Arabic. This row here speaks Urdu. This over here speaks Pashti. And as I say something, as a person of the first century and receiving the gift of tongues, you would he- I would hear myself say, which means whatever it means in your language. In other words, you would each hear it in your own language. Try that on for size. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool just to be a missionary and just go anywhere in the world and just speak English? And then the person hears it in their language? And then they would speak their language and you would hear it in yours? This is prophetic of the church being filled with the Spirit with the mission of getting the word of God out to the nations to bring transformative power to prepare for the ultimate new heaven and new earth. If you ever ask yourself, why did I come today and listen to this crazy guy that had way too much caffeine? Although I haven't. I had one cup of coffee like three hours ago. Peter standing up with the eleven... This is all going down right here. Lifted up his voice and addressed them. Because people were like, what is this? They're they're speaking. Everybody hears a different thing. It's uh, very confused. Very very confused. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk. As you suppose, they were being accused of being drunk because they heard a lot of talking. Since it's only the third hour of the day, it was morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This, what you see, is what Joel, the prophet, talked about and predicted. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. See the people from the Jewish nations that came from all over the world. Not to mention, if you read the book of Acts, the gospel's going out to the entire world. In fact, it grew so fast that the empire, the Roman Empire under Constantine, converted to Christianity because you could no longer contain the Christians. That was 325 A.D. Pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Joel said it. Peter's saying, what you're seeing here is the fulfillment 
on the Feast of Weeks of Joel's prophecy. The, f- the spring feasts of Israel had come to a completion right here. Now, there's also the fall feasts, which include the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Joel knew that. In fact, he quotes it. Peter quotes Joel. This is the second part, and this is important because you live, and the first century church lived in the last days until this happens. The fall feast becoming true, leading up to the second coming of the Lord. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now before we read this passage, follow me for a second. He's saying that Pentecost is the fulfillment of the Spirit of God coming down and the church has been born. You are a product of this. Now, I am a filthy, pig-eating, I wrap bacon around my ears and go out in public. I love it that much. I love pork and I am a filthy, pig-eating Gentile. This is who I am. And if God can include me into the kingdom of heaven, he can include any of you. My ministry is with Jewish people. And I have people from all over the world that we lead in tours and we have fun with our Jewish friends. And we joke about this, but one of the most beautiful things that started in the first century is that God took Jewish people, brought them to Jesus, and from that point on, we have been in the last days. We are awaiting the events of Joel for the second coming. We're waiting for the trumpet blast. We're waiting for the time when Jesus will return to earth. Just as it says in Acts chapter 1, just as he ascended into heaven, he will also return to earth. We're awaiting an era of peace for a thousand years, the Bible says. Literally, it says it multiple times in Revelation chapter 20. But as we approach the end times, end of the end times, we're seeing a lot of changes got into a taxi in Las Vegas, and I was going to do a teaching at a conference called Where Are We At in the Prophetic Timeline? And this taxi driver, he's from Boston, lives in Las Vegas, and uh, he says to me, so what's your job? I said, well, I'm a Bible teacher. We talk about Bible prophecy and teach all around the world. We have a YouTube channel. We do tours in Israel. Yeah, is that right? Wow. You know, um, the world's getting real crazy, don't you think? And I said, well, yeah, that's what what we teach. And I said to him, did you ever think the world would look like this at this time in your life? He said, no, man, this is crazy. Does the Bible say anything about that? And I said, funny you should ask. I was literally going to a conference the next day to speak on specifically this. I had the outline in my mind. And I went through all of what the Bible says, the biggest 
prophecies that predicted how the world would go in the latter part of the last days, augmented by church fathers that said the same thing. In fact, Irenaeus of Lyons predicted that in the latter part of the last days, we should see a spike in lawlessness. We should see a spike in apostasy. We should see a spike in sexual confusion. We should see a spike in political chaos of self-centeredness where people define what is right and wrong based on their feelings. That's what these guys predicted in addition to the Bible. Not only that, but the Bible in Ezekiel 36 and 37 predicted the Holocaust. It predicted the return of the Jews to their homeland. It predicted the return of the Jews to their homeland and then receiving Jesus in a progressive state up to the second coming. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, we talked about Russia and their intentions to lead a coalition of forces to grab Israel's assets led by Russia with the coalition of Iran, Turkey, Libya, and Sudan. With Sheba and Dedan, it says in the text, when Russia invades with the coalition into Israel for its resources, Sheba and Dedan will criticize it. Sheba and Dedan are countries in the Arabian Peninsula. Coincidence that under the Abraham Accords in 2020, those countries are now at peace with Israel and have Israel's side. Russia has invaded Ukraine. Somebody destroyed the pipeline, leading all of the natural gas of Russia into uh, Europe. Somebody sabotaged that. And now Israel just had a new election, and they got a right-wing government back, and they're going to be pumping droves of natural gas into Europe, driving Putin absolutely nuts. It's just a matter of time before this Israel government votes weak again, and they invade. These are the days we live in. Never has there been a time in history where you've had this level of conductivity. Never have been a time in history where you've had all of the people that were confused at the original Tower of the Babel coming together as one in a one-world government predicted overtly by Psalm chapter 2. You've never had a time in history where you've had this many prophecies converging specifically right on down to details of countries rising up against each other. Right now in human history, God has called you, you are sitting here today watching this whole thing go down. And this guy, this taxi car driver says, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> and I said, let's talk. Friends, you're living on the precipice of world events, cultural, social, geopolitical changes that we've never seen in human history to this level to this amount of change for public policy ever in human history. And it's going faster every single day. I was in, um, I was in f 45 cities and nine countries since January 1st of this year. And I'm seeing that the United States is a slow change compared to the, f the fast change of other countries. South Africa, Europe, Brazil just ousted out a, what I would call a very effective president and they went back to a corrupt leader that spent time in prison. They prefer the lawless one over the one that brought law and order. What I'm saying is, the Bible said this would all happen and it predicted that there would be an acceleration at the days just before the second coming. Which means, 
your mission, which never changed. You'll see that in a minute. You have more right now than any generation of Christian before you to reach out and make a difference in the world that we live in. The world is asking you, give me answers. The world is coming to us saying, what do you have to say about this? The taxi driver, I shared the whole gospel message with him. It was effortless. The world is saying, we need to hear what you have to say. You'll never get that from the news. You'll never get that from the government. You'll never get that from the education system because they are all pressured by these ominous spirits trying to gain control. Before you judge the conspiracy theory in me, I will document some of this. We'll go through it with the main purpose of you walking out of here having reached out to a non-believing friend that you were wondering where they stood in faith and arrange a meeting for them to have a conversation of spiritual things later, literally this week. In the first service, we had people reach out. They got responses already. I reached out to my guy. I got a response. It's good to go. You're saying, wow, what does this mean? You'll find out. Let's go into this. Mark chapter 4, verse 21 through 25. This is where we left off last week. If I pace, it's because I'm thinking. So I'm generating ideas. This is after he told the story of the sower sowing seed, which we'll come back to in a minute. He said to them, this is Jesus, is a lamp brought into, be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? A lamp, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He said to them, Pay attention to what I have you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. In other words, if you're open, God will give you more knowledge, give you more insight, give you more wisdom. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The knowledge of the gospel and truth, if the one person embraces it, he's going to have much more and he's going to have excitement. The Lord's going to open up his eyes. He's going to have opportunity. He's going to have expansion of ministry. He is going to have a God party. But the one who has little and rejects God's plans, rejects truth, even what he has, be taken away. He will lose. The point here is, is that God has given you precious gift. It's called the Holy Spirit. Started at Pentecost, fulfilling fall, uh, the spring feasts. You are in the last days, coming to the last of the last days, as defined by Scripture, Ezekiel, church fathers. What Jesus was referring to was an awe, was a lamp. Now, I hope this isn't, is this being recorded? Because if my wife finds out that I grabbed this from her showcase, I will hear from her about this. This is a 2,000-year-old lamp. This is exactly what Jesus is referring to here. This. This is where you put olive oil, symbolic, right? There's a wick connecting to the olive oil, and then there's fire. One of these with olive oil gives off ten times the lumens of a standard wax candle. You ever been in a pitch black area and the power went out and people say, oh no, what are we going to do? And then dad or somebody, some roommate, whoever, where is the flashlight? And you just hope and pray that somebody swapped the batteries within the last 16 years, okay? 
You grab the flashlight and, oh, it makes such a difference. This is what Jesus is referring to in the passage. Do not put a basket over this. Do not put this under a bed. Don't do it. That's not the calling of a lamp. The lamp is designed to give light. Light gives clarity. Light gives confidence. Light gives people hope. It gives them a sense of direction. It gives them peace. Light, literal light. If you don't have light, the anxiety. You call the power company. This is very unacceptable. My name is Karen, and I really want to have the power restored right now because I just don't have an internet connection right now. Well, ma'am, we're doing all we can. That's not acceptable. Don't be like Karen, but she, even the great and mighty Karen, understands the lack of light. You are called to be a light. Do not get Karen upset. Actually, one of my fortes is upsetting Karen. It's very fun. But anyway, we'll leave that for a different sermon. Spring feasts, fall feasts. You and I are right about here. Why? Increase in lawlessness, increase in apostasy, one world government, Israel coming back to life the coalition forces in Syria, Sheba and Dedan making peace with Israel, becoming a critic of the upcoming war led by Russia, which has already invaded Ukraine for the very same reasons. They're absolutely upset because the right-wing government in Israel is going to pump natural gas into Europe, which is what they capitalized, and that was one of their bargaining chips to get what they wanted economically and socially and politically out of Europe. But somebody sabotaged Nord Stream 1 and 2. Hmm. I wonder who did that. Are you ready to see what it means to be a light in these last days? This is why you came. And if you don't like me, you can kill the messenger, but the message still lives. And this is just, this is what guest speakers can do, see? Our mission is to actually make disciples through evangelism. Our mission isn't to evangelize and then roll the dice and see what happens. It's to make disciples. It's an intentional process, and it happens in the church. You go to church, and that's where it happens. Look what it says here. The mission is very clearly outlined by Jesus himself before his ascension into heaven. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's always a doubter. Right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. He's the boss. I have seen demons tuck tail and run with the name of Jesus. I have seen people demonized, and when they choose Jesus, the demons shirk and run, just like they always have. All authority is possessed by him. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. End of the age is when he comes back the second coming. That's the understanding of the first century. That was the understanding of the Old Testament. You are sitting at the precipice 
of the signs that Jesus illustrated in Matthew chapter 24. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars, pestilences. All of these signs are indicators and spike right before the last stint of time, the end of the age. Welcome to the last of the last days. People have never been as open as now. You have never had as many tools for the sake of sharing your faith than now. You can open up a channel today. You, you may have already opened up a YouTube channel. You can go and you can have conversations and meetings with anyone you want at any time you want through Zoom, through whatever platform. You have more research tools for absolutely free online that you used to have to pay for back in the day. There are more resources, more openness today than any other time in history. Satan's taking advantage of it. Why don't you? This is what drives me. This is one of the determining factors of why I had to do what I did a few years ago and transition out to this new ministry. It was horribly difficult for me. The Madisons know this to be true. I loved being a pastor here. I loved watching you grow. I loved watching you get it. I loved watching you go to work, raise your family, kick butt, take names for the name of Jesus, fail, get up, fail, get up, keep going. I loved watching you overcome challenges, addictions, fixing your marriage. I miss that. But I, my, my calling is to wake the church up and to share with the church what it could be, what Jesus envisioned. And especially in these days, when you have people surrounding you that need to hear the good news of the message. The parable of the sower that's previously written before today's passage in the early part of chapter 4 of Mark, Jesus predicts four different kinds of hearts and he uses a parable to illustrate it through that of rock, soil, thorns. He says that when you sow the seed, i.e. spiritual conversations in the Word of God, some of those seeds just land on cold hearts like a trail. And the seed literally dies days later. It has nothing, no, no roots, nothing. And of course, some of the seeds land on rocky soil, but don't be fooled. Even though it rains, there might be a little sprout, but because it's in rock, it can't produce anything. It quickly dies, scorched with the sun. Then there's the thorns. Certainly, there's a competition between the thorns and maybe the seed itself. And you can see, ooh, maybe there's hope. Maybe the seed is actually going to produce something. But then the thorns come over and choke it out. Three human heart conditions. Very closed, somewhat uh, open, and uh, open but not in a position to really make a commitment. That then the good seeds that land on good soil can produce crops. All those take, pictures were taken in Israel recently would have been more consistent to what Jesus was referencing here. You have the chance to see this vision in your friends and family. You have a chance right now to reach out to somebody and have a spiritual conversation and see where the Spirit of God leads. You have a chance right now unlike other periods of history where you can draw from the events of this world. You can talk about it. You can talk about what creates anxiety and fear. You can share your story. You can talk about what the Bible has actually said. And you can do it in a way that only you can do with the person God put in your life. It's a fascinating time. 
Here is the vision. This is the sermon. We'll spend 20% of our time here, and then I'm going to give you a gut punch and give you a challenge. And then I'm going to commission you out for this world. And by the way, it says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Guess what happened over at the Prior Lake campus this morning? Baptisms. Yeah. How cool is that? Here's Jesus' vision for his followers in the text. You need to sow the seed. You can't sit in the basement and hope that it'll happen with guys that are online or people that are out in the forefront. It's on you and me. He said, this is following chapter 4, verse 25, um, which we just read. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. See, he comes back to this after he told the parable earlier. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. I also don't know how. Some of you are agrarian people. You're farmers. You understand how. But this is a general statement. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come and he's not going to miss out on it. 1988. I'm living in Germany. I'll never forget this. I'm walking out in the street past this beach right on a lake. And I hear this voice say to me, go and share the gospel with that young woman. And I'm walking and I said, no. And I heard the voice again say, go and share the gospel with that young woman. No. Then I started making excuses. She's a woman. I don't know her. I don't know enough German. I made all the excuses. And I kept walking. And then I actually saw somebody try to commit suicide. It was horrible. They took a car. They crashed into some equipment. The police came. Then I said, okay. I don't know what that means. But I walked back to the beach, and I sat down about a yard away, and she says to me, Bist du in Gott glauben? Which is, do you believe in God? I said, yes, I do. In fact, and I was, I was kind of cynical at the time because I was like testing God in a way, I said, in fact, I believe God sent me here to talk to you. Does that sound strange? And I said it in English, and she said, no, I was sitting here praying, asking for God to send somebody to me to share because I'm going through something very difficult. And then a conversation took place, and all we did was talk about the reality of God and his son Jesus Christ and the life that I received in him. And I shared with him my reluctance to go and make excuses and not to come and talk to her, and she laughed. And then... She became a believer, not through me, but through one of the female students at the colleges I was attending. That's, where I, that's why I was there. And she did come to faith. It makes me wonder, like, what would have happened if I wouldn't have obeyed? Ooh, doesn't that, like, freak you out? Like, woo, you know, like, if you wouldn't have made that phone call or done that job and there was a lot more at stake than you realized at first, and then God just says, hey, thank you for obeying. Now you have a story. God uses you. I know that I can see the thirst in your eyes. Ministry and re outreach is just that. It's fun. You just reach out to people and see what the Lord does. He gives you what to say. He gives you topics. At the very least, you can pray with the person. 
all the young airmen that I reach out to in the Air Force, they always receive prayer. Even the most worst atheist people, the ones that worship the Nordic gods, Thor, Odin, all of those guys, there's totally a chaos right now in our military. On the roster of religions, you have Jedi Order. You have Nordic gods, not just Baptists or Lutherans or Catholics. No, no, in today's day and age, you've got neo-pagan old religions coming back. They all want to know. They all want a spiritual conversation. And that's where you come in. Sow the seed. Look what it says here. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You get to harvest. You get to see the impact of God's word in another person's life. But you got to sow. Number two, you must trust God in the process. And it is a process. It requires patience and prayer. I've prayed for people for 20 to 30 years only to find out at the point where I've lost hope where they come to faith and they really come to faith. And I say to myself, wow, God, I almost lost hope. But you pulled through this. It happened to a family member of mine a few years ago. Very close family member. I lost hope. I said, God, that's it. I'm not going to pray. Can I just confess? I said, I'm not going to pray anymore because I don't see any fruit. And when I, (laughs) I'm not saying you should do this, but when I stopped praying, a few weeks later he said I came to faith. But it wasn't by ceasing of prayer that brought him to faith. It was my plea to God one last time. And God had been working on this family member's heart for so many years, boom, his time came, and his whole life changed. Go figure. I pray for people all the time because I know that prayer is the secret that unleashes God's will and his power upon a person's life that has their own free will, that must choose, but they can feel the pressure. They can sense the Spirit of God pressuring them for that which is right to draw them to Jesus. They feel the magnetic force. Pray. Anyway, trust God in the process, because watch. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Hmm? Or what parable shall we use for it? You know what? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. It's a pathetic little circle seed. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can come and make its nests in its shade. That's what it looks like, the close-up. After some time right there in your own house, you can have mustard plants that bloom That's what they look like, nice, robust branches. It's a plant, it's not a tree. And here is a mustard mustard plant field. I love the rainbow. Oh, doesn't that look nice? It's not you. It's not your words. It's the Word of God and your story, which contains the Spirit of God working in your life that you share with another person. But it is a process. And that's where I want to um, put this point up there before we give you an instruction list and an assignment. <clears throat> Learn the power of a story to communicate. Because it says right here, at the very, he concludes the parables, 
the series of parables with this statement. And with many such parables, he, Jesus, spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Notice that. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. You ever wondered why? You ever listen to somebody and you ask yourself, what did that person mean? And you just cannot rest until you figure it out. That's exactly what he did. But to his disciples, who were a bit thick, he had to get offline with them and explain things to them. Now, let's review. The last day started at Pentecost, which fulfilled the spring feasts of Israel to the T. We've been in the last days for a long, long time, and they even said what the last days would look like, and things are increasingly getting more noticeably worse on many levels predicted by the Truth Project in the 90s if you took that. If you didn't, look up Truth Project, and they identify levels of society that will become inevitably corrupt in the last days. We're there. We are also looking at the warnings and the signs that Jesus gave in Matthew 24 at the precipice right before the period that leads to the second coming. Never before in human history have we had this much technology, this much change, and this much opportunity. And here you are with the commands that always stood firm to share our faith and be a light to the world. How you do that will differ from the way I do that, but one thing's for sure, all of us are called to it. So here is your instructions, and then we'll kick you out after we have communion. Assignment, pray for a person. In the first service, the Lord gave me one name. I actually texted this person, literally in the service, and he responded, and he wants to meet. Pastor Kenny did the same thing. Many of the people did the same thing in the first service, and I'm going to ask you to do the same. Only this time, for me, I'm going to write to an Israeli. And I'm going to ask you if you really want to take this seriously, or if it's just another nice sermon. Wow, I can't believe he's making me do this. He's making me text somebody? Absolutely. Yeah, it's totally happening. Now, if you want to, you can. If you want to think about it, you're taking the risk that every minute that goes by after you leave this building today, you will have less and less of a desire to follow through. I'm going to give you three facts. You're not going to like it. But I don't really care what you think. I have to report to God and so do you, so we might as well speak fact. Your passion for evangelism is proportionate to your love for people. Fact number two, your skill for sharing your faith is proportionate to your knowledge of Scripture, relationship with God, and experience. Fact number three, and the most important one of all, you will not share your faith if there isn't faith in you to share. Some of you right now need to just say to the Lord, I don't even know where I stand with you. You better sort that out. Otherwise, you're, you're gambling with your soul. Don't gamble with your soul. We get insurance for our cars and our house and life insurance in case we pass on. But only a fool would not have eternal life insurance. Am I calling you a fool? If you don't know Jesus, then I'm calling you a fool. 
because you're risking your soul for eternity, basing it on your thoughts and feelings when the word of God has already been established, determining where you stand with him without Jesus. Why play with your soul? I love you too much to watch you play games with your soul. And if you do have Jesus in your life, don't play games with other people's souls that he's entrusted to you. Don't. Or they may miss out on eternity. Don't. This is the thing of a guest speaker, what we guest speakers get to say. We get to hit you between the eyes. You're called to be a light. Don't hide it under a basket or a bed. I want you to be the storytellers. I want you to be the ones that wake up in the morning and have the God stories parachute on your lap. I want you to be the ones not listening but telling. And I'm sharing with you the way to do it. Pray for a person. In fact, as an application, I'm going to take a minute right now and I'm going to write to somebody and I'm going to ask that you do the same and uh, I'm not going to judge, but I do need to do this because I promised God I would. And this guy is an Israeli, and I'm going to write to him now. I'm going to write to him, I'm sitting in church, and I'm thinking about you, and I wanted, I wanted to know where you stand in your faith with the Lord Jesus, and I'm sending it. I ask you to do the same now or sometime today. Watch what happens. Watch and see what the Lord does. Now, that's what I just did. Where do you stand in your faith with God? Notice how it's engineered. In the last days, people believe in anything. Be prepared to say, I worship the God Odin in my backyard and I use Thor and I have this Viking lore that I follow and it's been an amazing process. I've actually had that. And this person came to me wanting a beard waiver in the Air Force because they wanted to worship Odin, and it's not allowed to have beards in the military unless you have a waiver. And I said to him, what if I was to tell you that there are greater, there's a greater God than even Odin himself that I personally have experience with? What would you say? This young airman said, Sir, game on. Tell me all about it. I'd, be lo I'd love to know what that is. I said, why would you settle when you can go straight to the top. Man, if you, could get, if you could get the best God, the top God, like the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, why would you settle for less than? And he said, tell me more. And I told him about God. I told him about Jesus. Because he asked me. I asked him, would you like to know? He said, yes. So I, told, I shared with him. It was totally within the legal rights. And uh, what happened next was amazing. He got up, he said, you know, chaplain, I came in here for a beard waiver, but you've certainly given me a lot to think about. I had no idea why Nordic countries had, had intentionally moved over to Christianity. I had no idea what the consequences of pagan um, idolatry is. I had no idea what some of the practices that they get into, and I, I was able to have that conversation. And I just simply asked him, where do you stand in your relationship with God? And he gave me an earful. I dare you. I dare you to ask somebody that question. I dare you to text them right now. Share your story. If you don't know scriptures, share your story of how Jesus impacted your life. Or, if you don't have a story, ask Jesus for one 
and he will give it. Jesus, I don't have a story to share. Ask him for an encounter. Go to church. I love inviting people to church. For every five people I invite, maybe one comes. But I like how that one comes more than others who never ask their friends that never come. Think about that. And lastly, before we transition into the communion experience, is you got to deal with rejection. I know what rejection feels like. I've been canceled. I've been threatened. I've had guns to my head. I've had trolls saying things like, it cannot be said with words what I would do to you if I found where you're at. Being online, that's part of the, the deal. When you speak God's word in today's generation, it has consequences and I'm willing to take those on because I report to God in the end, not to the trolls, not to the United States government, not to anybody else, but you also report to God and will give an account of the beautiful gifts that he's entrusted into you. Do you really want to wake up tomorrow missing out on a God story that you could have had? Do you really want to risk your soul? Do you really want your family to not have the principles of Scripture flowing through them to make a difference in decisions, to make a difference in how you decide where to go in life and how to lead, how to be an example and a role model? Isn't it ironic that Christian values are still respected? They just don't want Christ at the center because they don't want accountability. They want to do what they want, when they want, with whom they want, and they try to infuse Christian principles. It's the sticker tag of Christianity, but inside it's a jar of diarrhea with corn. Sorry for the illustration. <laughs> Look, many of you know me. The ones that didn't laugh um, think, think I'm sick, but that's fine. You can think I'm sick. But that's what the world, the world is offering you an alternative to the gospel, and it's nothing more than that in the jar. So put your big boy pants on and be prepared for some rejection. Acts chapter 5, verses 41 through 42. Then they left the presence of the council. This is right after they had been doing ministry in the first century. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Why? Because God was showing up. He was performing miracles here. He was letting people out of jail. Over here, he was healing people. Over here, there were thousands that came to faith. Man, it was fun to do ministry. But there has never been a time in human history with so many gifts and so many advantages than we have today. These guys would have longed to have what you have today. The fruit is literally falling off the trees. Do you want in on it? Start with one person. And I'm going to close with this, and this is again the same passage that we just quoted earlier. Go therefore, blame Jesus for the command, not me, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Go to church, and behold, I am with you always. I'm with you always. I'll show up. I will stretch you. I will guide you. I will give you direction in life. I will give you wisdom. I will give you hope, joy, peace, and patience. I will give you all the fruit that is written. It is a deal. It is done. If you embrace me, I will show up in your life even till the end of the age. To the end of the age. 
Um, worship team, I'm going to ask you to come and take your stations. We're going to go into the communion experience. My challenge to you is very simple. It's to be this to the world that needs the light. I asked you to reach out to one person with a text right now. I already heard a response, and God is going to do amazing things for those of you who do take the risks. If you're not ready for that and you don't know where you stand in your relationship with the Lord and you don't really have a light, it's time, the time to gamble with your soul stops right now. Okay? You came here today. It stops now. I'm going to ask that you would humbly just pray this with me. I'll lead you in a prayer, and we're going to turn it over to the worship team for the communion experience. Lord, I want to say I'm sorry for my lack of faith and my sins and all my shortcomings. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? <clears throat> you know, folks, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've come this far, the second part is simply saying, Lord Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Now I invite you to be the absolute Lord of my life. Take the wheel. Drive my life. I don't want to miss out on you and what you have in store for the future. And we pray that in Jesus' name. In a moment, um, we're going to start singing a song. There are stations of communion in the four corners of the, the gym. All you do is you, you make your way up when you're ready during this song. When you're ready, just make your way up the aisles. This section over here, this section over here. Grab the elements and then sit down and wait. We're going to do it together. You're going to come around and come back around. It's a traffic flow thing, okay? <laughs> And then after this song, Pastor Kenny is going to come and lead us in the communion experience. Now is the time where gambling with your soul stops. Now is the time, if you already are a believer, to renew your faith and say, Jesus, use me in ways you never have. But make no mistake, communion is for the believer and for those who are saying, I want to share in the principles that we believe biblically and also share in the relationship that we all have in Jesus for those who do believe. It is you that is invited to the table.